Hey everybody, Brian here. I long ago promised you that if we ever did a sponsored episode, I'd let you know that we were. Well, this is a sponsored episode. As you've heard, the Internet Society has been advertising with us all week to get the word out about their paper on issues surrounding low-Earth orbit satellites and the whole Internet from space. Space. They wanted to know if they could have a longer conversation about this topic, and I said yes, because they're the Internet Society. I've long respected their work, and also because the whole space tech industry is something I find fascinating. So enjoy this discussion, but know that the Internet Society paid to have this discussion, so be sure to check out the paper we're talking about at internetsociety.org slash techmeme. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I guess a special Thanksgiving holiday uh, sort of uh, bonus episode for us. Um, Today, uh, I couldn't resist doing this. Um, The Internet Society reached out. You might have heard their ads on the show this week. Uh, They have a a new paper out that the ads hopefully have told you about all this week about uh, Internet from Space. (laughs) And uh, we have from the Internet Society uh, today, Dan York, uh, to talk about that paper, to talk about, uh, you know, satellites, space tech, all that good stuff. Uh, Dan, first of all, welcome. Great. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm a longtime listener, so I've enjoyed your show over these years. Well, thank you so much. I, um, I think what we should do is first start off just real briefly with um, the Internet Society, because as I said, when you, when you folks reached out, I couldn't resist because I've respected the work that you've done all these years. So just briefly tell us about the Internet Society and, and what your goals and, and projects are. Sure. So we were founded in 1992 by a group of kind of early Internet pioneers, and we're a global nonprofit. We have, uh, we're working really to ensure that the Internet remains a, a force for good for everybody. And it's a bigger, stronger Internet that's trustworthy, open, globally connected, all of these things like that. We have about uh, close to 100,000 individual members. It's free. Anybody can can join. We have about 130 uh, chapters, and we have close to 100 organization members that are all part of our organization. We're, we do a lot with uh, the, the open standards world, uh, supporting a lot of the work of the Internet Engineering Task Force and other groups like that. And so uh, that's what we're doing. This this year, we're really focused on how do we help connect the unconnected and and grow the half, you know, grow the internet, this global network of networks to include the the about third of the world that's still not on. And then we're also focused on a lot of work around ensuring that when people get on the internet, and for those of us who already are, that it's as secure and trustworthy as possible. So we have a lot of projects in those different kind of areas. Well, um, given that that's your main remit, as you just described it, you know, getting everybody online in a, a fair and equitable way, uh, it makes sense that y'all are taking a look at um, Internet from space, space. I should have a, a <laughs> some sort of a, a yeah. We a, need some kind of a reverb thing going there. Um, so space let, lasers. Let, let's get into that. So you know, I'm as I like to say, uh, as people like to say, I'm old enough to remember that the idea of getting uh, data from space. So like even you know cellular networks from space and stuff like that, or the internet from space has kind of a long history and not a, a one that's bathed in glory. I'm thinking of things like Iridium and, and stuff like that. And <laughs> yep. um, so, however, as we've discussed on the show, um, space tech is pretty big right now. And one of the first obvious use cases for it is to provide people with um, connectivity. So can you, let's, let's start by just 
asking why now? What what has happened with the industry and the tech that has allowed this to be something that seems to be viable um, now? Sure. I mean, like you said, we've had a satellite-based internet access for, for decades, but pretty much mostly using the geostationary or geosynchronous, what we often call geo satellites that are based out about 36,000 kilometers away from the earth. And, and that's, that's been what we've had. We've had those from a variety of vendors for a long time and, and it works. It gives people connectivity in, in remote regions, but it, but the challenge is just, it takes about, and it takes a long time for packets to get all the way out to 36,000 kilometers and back. And you wind up with, with a latency of around oftentimes 600 plus milliseconds, which, you know, we're recording this on a zoom call, et cetera. You couldn't do that over a geosynchronous connection. You just can't. So. You know, those kind of things, whether it's, uh, you know, real time communications or, or virtual worlds or, or gaming or, or just any kind of, you know, any kind of communication doesn't work well over something with that much of a lag. So now, you know, we're seeing people look at these systems in the low earth orbit or LEO. And that's generally around, you know, 150 to 2000 kilometers. But most of these satellites are kind of around 400, 500 kilometers away from the earth and they rotate quickly. They go around the earth very fast. And and so you don't have, where with a geosatellite network, you might have maybe three to cover the entire Earth at, at the equator, and you have that kind of connection. With LEO systems, you have, you need a whole, what they call a constellation, which might be hundreds or, or thousands or, or tens of thousands. Some of these satellites, there's even one that's out there for 300,000 satellites that could go around the Earth in some way. So you have these large constellations of, of, uh, of networks which give you low latency, high speed connections. You know, some of the speed tests will generally say that you can get somewhere around like 40 milliseconds uh, of, a, of a latency, which is perfectly fine for a call like this. We can do those kind of things like that. It's not as fast as like a fiber connection, but heck, you can get it wherever you are and where you don't have fiber and that kind of thing. What's to your question about why now, we've had an interesting intersection of a number of different things. One of them is, We've now got mass produced satellites. In the past, you know, for building those geosatellites or the things, they might be the size of a bus. They took, you know, months to years to build. They're custom built, everything else. Now you've got companies like SpaceX and, and Amazon who are looking to stamp these things out. You know, it's just, it's mass production of satellites to get out there. And, 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 they're, uh, and they're smaller, right? Like that's the And they're smaller, thing. like at, a car, you know, at, or something. As opposed to a bus or an RV yeah. or something like that, yeah. Exactly. They're, they're small like that and they do it. The other piece is we've gotten, you know, mass-produced antennas, the, what they call a terminal, a user terminal, but it's an antenna that, you know, with a geo satellite, you would go and you'd point the antenna toward it and that was it. Well, when your things move, you can't just go out there and move the antenna around, but we've got these electronically steerable antennas that that automatically track along that, including while things are in motion. I mean, in tremendous advances in that. And then the other aspect is you've got you know remarkable stuff happening in the space business for for launch systems. You know, you look at SpaceX with the ability to go launch these things. You know, come back, reuse the rockets. I mean, this is the economies of space launching are are just amazingly different than they were even 20 years ago back in the 90s there was a push to get leo systems up but but it didn't it didn't work it, you know for because it didn't have all this stuff happening at this time so at this really interesting time when people were able to do this and and provide these kind of systems it's amazing so uh i'm i'm a dumb person so i i didn't know one 
aspect of this. So you have the constellations, like you said, you know, uh, folks trying to set up these systems are launching sometimes thousands of satellites. So it's sort of like a swarm as opposed to, you know, an, even a net or something like that. Um, I, I knew that. I knew that you need um, a satellite, you know, going back to like Bloom County and people making fun of getting HBO, <laughs> <laughs> stealing HBO from your backyard satellite. I, I understand that. I What I never factored in is that there's also um, like terminals, like you have to have ground stations uh, mm-hmm. that connect you to, at least right now, because we're going to get into how that might change, but at least right now, is is it just that the signal is just still bouncing back and forth like... So you need the ground stations as well to connect to the actual internet, which is still a, uh, a, a terra firma kind of thing. Yeah, right, right. So you've got it. You've got this space-based, you know, constellation of, of satellites. So you've got a network there, and that network has to connect to the rest of the internet and all and all of the other millions of networks that make up the internet. And that that connection comes through a ground station. So, and sometimes they call it a gateway. There are different terms for it, but you know, it's essentially it's the large antennas and things that you would see on the ground that take the signal because the signal has to go from your user terminal, from your antenna, the connected to your, you know, Wi-Fi network or whatever. It's going to go from that to the satellite, bounce off the satellite, and then go down into the ground station, which then connects it out to the rest of the internet. So, for this to work, it has to go, and the satellites need to be in range of a ground station, subject to the other thing we'll talk about. But they generally need to go and do that. Now, the LEO satellites are moving so quickly that the antennas are actually able to track multiple satellites, so that your your the signal you send to go load, you know, the Tech Bean Ride Home webpage or something that may go to the ground antenna, and then the response may actually come back off a different satellite. The antennas mm-hmm. track all this stuff and mm-hmm. make it all work, but they do traditionally, they've had to be in range of a ground station. And that's the piece that's there. Well, another thing that I learned from your paper, which I, I was remiss at not saying at the beginning that um, you can you can get it at um, internetsociety.org slash tech meme. Um, there's, there's exciting tech coming, like um, we're still basically doing radio waves now, but uh, we're we're getting to the point where we can do lasers and things like that, <laughs> which would allow like actual CDNs. It would it would allow more of what I'm talking about, like the operations to be yeah. in space. Yeah, yeah. Explain that to well, me. Sure. Well, and actually, Starlink, uh, SpaceX, and the Starlink service of SpaceX. We need to their system. They already support this with some of their the satellites that have been flying up since 2021 or so. They just had an announcement the other week where they had some people in Antarctica who were using a, a Starlink antenna to connect to uh, to the internet. But if you think about it, there's not really any ground stations that connect Antarctica to the rest of the internet from there. But what was happening was they're connecting up to a sat to a Starlink satellite. Which is then using what's called a, 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 a um, well, it's a laser link, but it's called an inter intersatellite link sometimes that was connecting to another Starlink satellite and conceivably to another and to another. I don't, we don't know the exact way it, what, it was mapped there, but it went till, till it found a station that connect, could connect down to a ground station. So it went up to satellite, 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 satellite down to a ground station. Suddenly this it opens up um, great possibilities. There's some people. In one of the Reddit forums around this, who were talking about how they've gotten, you know, connectivity from way up in northern Canada mm. and in Alaska, where they're able to go and get this kind of connection again without being near a ground station, but they're being able to get that. It's traveling across there. 
Now we don't, I don't know, and I don't know that Starlink has necessarily talked too much about the capacity of all those, but but it is possible now. And so we're able to reach places that you just could not get before, which is amazing. I, I, I want to come back to the capacity question, but um, so so right now, uh, in in November 2022, the main advantage slash use case slash best practice for this technology is, as you say, connecting uh, people in places where you know it's not cost effective to string cables and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, right now, is that what it is? Is like connecting the corners of the world that are unconnected? Is that the primary uh, goal right now? Well, I, I think it's a combination of use cases. They're pretty interesting. That is certainly one of the primary places, right? Is people who don't have other options, they can go and get it. One of the interesting things is Starlink has enabled it, uh, people to use it on recreational vehicles or actually in motion. And boats, so planes, it, yeah. boats, planes, but also just individuals driving around. You know, um, it was kind of funny in the early stages of the, the release. I, uh, I I caught a thing, a stream, a live stream on Twitch or something of these 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 guys who had modified a Starlink antenna to run on their rally car in some kind of race down in Baja, California. And they were driving around live streaming the whole time and everything else. Now, that was just, they were hacking the machine to go and, and do it. But today, that is actually a supported use case. And people are being able to go and use this in a variety of different mobile ways that they couldn't do before. Uh, there's also a lot in uh, in disaster response, in, in kind of ways looking at that. I, I, uh, I volunteer a bit with the ITDRC, which is the uh, IT Disaster Resources Center, and they are the, the folks who deploy to, um, to disaster areas like Hurricane Ian in Florida. They brought down their trailers with their, their, their Wi-Fi and mobile phone setups and stuff, and they, just, and they use Starlink to go and make connections back and be able to bring connectivity in there, not only for first responders, but for the community as well. So tremendous capability there in, in building resilience. So, uh, you know, I, I again, I assume the Internet Society is interested in in poking at these ideas because ultimately the goal is to get every human being on the planet that wants to be connected to the Internet. But what about the affordability? Because, you know, I I would love to test out um, um, SpaceX's Internet, um, whose name escapes me right now. But um, like it is $600 up front just for uh, a, yeah. a tinker tool. And then it's like $100 a month or more or something like that. So like, what do you, what, what are we thinking in terms of if this is going to bring, you know, we're not only thinking about, you know, Western rich people that can RV around the country. We're also thinking about people in remote third world areas that, yep. that will eventually get it. So the affordability question, do we yeah. know when that's going to come down? Is it possible to come down? So this is this is one of the big questions we have, yes, because Starlink, you're right. If I want to get it here in Vermont where I live, it's $600 and then it's, you know, around $100 or so. Now, Starlink started out, SpaceX started out kind of doing that pricing globally, but then they have adjusted it. They've changed it to be more reflecting local pricing in other markets, but it's still pretty high. And, and there are certainly costs around creating that whole antenna and creating that whole kit and stuff around that line that are somewhat fixed. So I don't know. And this is one of our big questions. Will this be something that can be used everywhere? Uh, I think what'll be interesting to see is as we get more competition out there. Right now, Starlink, right. SpaceX is, is right. the one. OneWeb has uh, a, about two-thirds of their satellites up right now. Uh, Amazon is going to start launching next year. 
in um and and telesat from canada some others are going to be coming on and, and there's like 16 constellations out there that are going to be launching over this next while and it'll be very interesting to see what business models emerge what can happen with competition can people bring down the pricing on these different parts so it is actually accessible what kind of government programs will happen you know in various different regions what kind of subsidies or what pieces will be out there this this is certainly one of our big questions i'd love it you know, to see if it would be something that could be affordable and help those folks in those far in those remote regions. We'll we'll have to see. You know, because it's important. It's not just connecting people in some areas. It's also helping people who currently have solutions that mm. don't give them a lot of connectivity. You know, they might be in an area that, but all they've got is a geo, and it's not really great. Well, another thing that I had never thought of that your your paper turned me on to was. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of talking about business models here, like, you know, w- will the price come down with competition, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that we don't know, I think, according to the paper, is we don't know the capacity of these systems yet. Like, um, how, how, many, how many users do we think um, um, SpaceX's uh, uh, system has right now? It's like 800,000 or something like that. Yeah, that's what they're saying is around that. Yeah. So, you so know, do, like- do we know, can you support a billion users on a I don't know. I was at a presentation. I did a presentation for the Armenian Internet Governance Forum last week, and they asked me that question. They're like, can we put everything on there? Can we put all of our IoT devices? Can we put every kind of thing onto the network? And uh, and the answer is, I don't know. We don't we don't know. You know, it's with with only only 800,000 users across the world on that kind of system. We don't know where it where it goes. We see we see different questions raised, you know, in some of the online forums. People are, you know, some people who've had fast connections are now seeing less and and other stuff and and uh and spacex introduced a bit of a of a tiered pricing so that you would get you know um it's not you would get a you know prioritize traffic up to a certain amount and then beyond that it was kind of best effort and stuff but it, the, the hard part we don't know is how much of that is just growing pains right now because they've only got only they've only got 3500 satellites up there which is more than we've ever had okay uh, just to be clear in the, in the history of the world it's um you know up there right now but they're on the path to uh, to get to about 4500 in that system but then they have another shell of another 15000 so at what point what will be the capacity of this whole system one of our hopes for the vendors that we were certainly looking for is can they help us understand that can they make their information available to researchers and people who are doing this kind of work you know that's a kind of a key piece we'd love to be able to to understand and do testing and stuff like that, like we can do for mobile networks or broadband. Right. Well, and, and we're talking about capacity in terms of serving end users and things like that and, and, and bandwidth and stuff. But another thing to think about that, again, I hadn't thought about before the paper was that, um, you know, optimal orbits, orbits are a limited resource. Like, and yeah. right now there's, if it's first come first serve, if you can get a satellite up there, uh, boom, you've got that orbit, right? right? And so we don't know necessarily, I, I must, there's, there's no, there's no traffic cops saying, stay in your lane, pick this lane. There's best practices. There's suggestions from like the UN and stuff, but like, right. So like the, the fear would be people get there first, clog up all of the best lanes or orbits and 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 distances and things like that and then oh crap since we didn't plan it out like now what like if if yeah. things get, get too crowded or something 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole. I mean, we don't. We'd actually have. We'd have to have a whole other show just to talk about how these things get allocated. But the, the net of it is, you talk like a company talks to a regulator, gets an allocation for spectrum and for orbits. The regulators talk among each other. The International Telecommunication Union has a role in here, but there isn't. There, there. It's. It is a lot of first come first serve. You know. Now they have the ITU have put some guidelines on here, which basically says. You know, once you get the allocation, you have to launch, you know, about, uh, I think, 10% of your constellation orbit within the first two years, and you have to have 50% up in five years and 100% in seven years. So they they put some limits on there so that you don't get people just saying, I'm going to take this, you know, le- altitude, because, you know, there is all this different, they, we talk about um, constellations in terms of shells, like a shell around the earth and at different altitudes and orbital inclinations and all that kind of stuff that that's there. And that's the part that, um, that, you know, <laughs> it is limited. There are, you know, concerns around all of that. And, and so we don't want people just to sit on that and not use it because there isn't, you know, it's a shared resource. Well, one of the things that would help, uh, ameliorate that problem would be if all of these various satellite systems had some form of interoperability, so that, sure, maybe you would gate it in terms of if I'm paying for this service versus that service, I'm using this satellite versus that satellite. But at the same time, if all of the satellites could talk to each other, share right. their networks or whatever, that would make things better. Um, so where are we on that in terms of interoperability? Well, I think it's it's still too new, right? Because again, we only really have SpaceX with their Starlink network up there and in OneWeb and some pieces of more come on. but. You know, it is interesting if you look at like in the United States where where I live, we um when we deployed mobile networks, right? Every you had Verizon, you had AT&T, you had Sprint, Nextel, whatever. You had your own separate phone which only worked with that infrastructure. We basically built like three different infrastructures, four different infrastructures across the United States for for mobile phones. Whereas in Europe and most of the rest of the world, Asia and everywhere else, they built one infrastructure. They agreed on using GSM. They they did this, and so you had you had people building on infrastructure. You had that, but you had shared. You had roaming fees. You had lots of stuff on that line, but you had a shared common thing. This is the question: Which way will we go? Will we go where we have completely separate infrastructures for for um, you know for Starlink, for OneWeb, for Amazon, for you know all of these? Will they completely build separate infrastructures, or will we have more of a shared infrastructure that is possible to share? And I don't know the answer. I'm not even sure they know the answers. But but that's why you want to talk about this right now, because yeah. we still have time to right. make those things happen before everybody else, before Project Kuiper gets all of its satellites. We, yep. we can we can make that decision now. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is that's why we wrote this document was partly to say these are the questions that we as a society need to be talking about and asking as we're launching all of these satellites and getting all these systems up there. Because if we don't, we'll, you know, we'll go at the whims of whatever entities are doing it. I think it's more important that all of us are involved. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. 
That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. Uh, we'll go ahead and end uh, in a second with um, s- sort of your recommendations that you came up with in the paper. But uh, one more question that I had never thought about, which is the security of this. Um, in the sense that... Um, you know, uh, geopolitical stories about like, you know, different countries spying on each other. We, we you know, there are certain Chinese vendors that are not allowed to create uh, or, or we're not allowed to use certain Chinese vendors for cellular networks now and things like that. Um, one of the things that I, I hadn't thought of before the paper again is the fact that like, let's say that satellite internet becomes like the main backbone of a communication system, like that's a huge national security concern where how would Mm -hmm. we know that some other country or some adversary can't shoot something up there that, you know, with a (laughs) magnet that sticks on there and then can listen in. And like, I'm thinking of like that pipeline that mysteriously blew up in, in the um, Baltic sea or something recently. Like, um, is this right now something that I hadn't considered, except for the cables that go underseas, in your country, you do have control over the the wires in your country, the towers in your country, the pipes in your country. But if it's up there and someone does something to it, then what are you going to do? Well, right. And and it's not like you can't, you you can prevent the satellite from going over your you know, with thousands of satellites, they're Unless going to be we, going we over your country. add lasers to all of our satellites, defensive <laughs> laser. <laughs> well, right. You know, like, so Starlink is going to be going, I mean, its satellites go over China, right? But China will never allow Starlink to operate. Well, I, I would suspect 
Who knows? I would suspect they won't allow Starlink to operate there. Likewise, China has several different constellations they're going to plan to use. I highly doubt the United States will allow people to subscribe to those services from within there. So you're going to have all these satellites orbiting the Earth in different forms, but you know, parts of the world will not be able to access or use those different systems. But you know, at least legally. Um, but that, that is a, I mean, it's a fascinating question. I think there's a lot going on. There's obviously countries too that have anti-satellite systems. There's all those different things that does introduce a whole new level of security concerns um, for our internet access levels. Yes, which we haven't had before. All right. So um, at the end of your paper, y'all have a bunch of recommendations in terms of not just it's not this isn't a policy paper where it's like this is what we should do it's it's more that you guys are raising the questions that you'd like to see the debate sort of coalesce around right now so just hit me with some of that stuff like what we should be talking about lobbying for thinking about right now as we're building this out Sure. I think the the main point is this space-based internet these leo satellite systems you know really have some tremendous opportunity Ideally, we want them to be to be able to work with the rest of the network of networks that are also, you know, with with you mentioned cables, with wireless, with all of those things. We want them to work on par with those. We want them to be similar, which means things like supporting the latest open internet standards, allowing competition that allows you know multiple providers to be in there, you know, using um, you know, peering with other networks supporting the latest so routing you could, you could pass kind of a law that says common carrier style like if you're putting a satellite up there that's going to beam back down into my country you also have to have some sort of interoperability with a competitor that could do likewise or something like that uh, that could be something out of that but yeah, yeah i mean we really want to ensure that the systems are being thought about in that way that they're secure right, 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 right. that they're confidential all those things yeah you know, i interrupted also, you so yeah go on yeah no, no, no. I think that's that, that. Those are good points. And then also, you know, things like advocating for the fair use of spectrum, allowing competitors or allowing new competition, new entrants into the market. And also that piece I mentioned around the capacity, helping being transparent, letting people understand what is really happening, how resilient, mm. what's the uptime, you know, how, what are these kind of things that we can really learn about? Well, that, that's, that's, the key. A, that's a point that, um, again, the paper made me think of that I never thought of before in the sense that we all sort of understand internet connectivity is a utility now, except for the fact that in the 90s, um, internet service providing as an industry was not necessarily built out as a utility in the same way that electricity and, and energy right. and things like that were. So would we have an opportunity again to learn lessons and be like let's let's we're not going to nationalize things necessarily or whatever but we could build in sort of the the safeguards and the best practices that would allow it to function more as a utility that would include the you know the public trust and the and 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 the the commons and things like that because we understand while it is um a a capitalist system it's still a utility that is vital to any country in the 21st century yeah i mean the pandemic has certainly shown us that it's absolutely you know internet access is absolutely critical for every aspect of our life it's woven into the fabric of what we do so so certainly any of the things that we can take a look at and and the business models the government regulation models the different aspects to help in this space you know even and in this space is changing so fast 
even as we wrote this paper, you know, and we're getting it out the door, the European Union announced an initiative to go and, and launch their own constellation, which could have a different business model being more, you know, government kind of funded in some way, which is different from what we have right now in, in some of these constellations. So I, I think it's it's an exciting time. There's a lot going on. There's so many things happening. And the industry is such uh, so, so young and changing so fast. You know, we will be the Internet Society. We will be re- revising this this paper uh, next year to to see what's changed in the year that's there. And already, we know some revisions we'll need to make. It's a uh, it's an exciting time, but it's a time that it's an opportunity we have to shape these conversations, like you said, and really help uh, decide what does Internet from, from space look like. All right, access is, from space. This is the last one because uh, I skipped this in my notes, but I, uh, let let's mention before we go um, privacy, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that. For all the reason, all the ways that, like you know, we're surveilled all the time now because of all our, our devices and things like that. Um, again, the paper made me think. In theory, I still have a fail-safe physical mechanism if I want to shut it all down. You know, I can unplug the the cable to my house. I can turn off my device. I can do all these things. But if what the internet from space um, <laughs> happen comes true. It would be sort of the promise of, oh, it's just in the ether. It's everywhere. So um, what have you guys thought about that in in terms of trying to future-proof the idea of if the internet is everywhere, it's like in the air, um, how can we safeguard uh, privacy and security and things like that? Well, I mean, that's really the the key question is, is how do we do that when we're making those things? Because, you know, we've just talked about here, we're talking about things like SpaceX, Starlink, OneWeb, Amazon Project Kuiper, that, that are focused on providing kind of large level broadband um, internet connectivity. But there is a whole host of other providers looking to launch into Leo space that are, for instance, providing connectivity directly to cell phones or providing messaging or providing other pieces like that. So there's a, a telecommunication aspect of that. And I think Ultimately, that is where some of these different folks want to go, get you to the point where you can just have your 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 smartphone and be able to have ubiquitous internet access wherever you go. Or the, and, the, the chip in your clothing that uh, is, is, you know, probably uh, five years away. Yeah. Well, right. And so you do get in those questions of like, do we want to trade off that convenience of being able to know where your shirt is or something like that to the potential you know, privacy ramifications of having your shirt tracked wherever it winds up being. So those are those societal questions we have to answer. And if we don't ask those questions, you know, we'll wind up with whatever some company decides is the right thing to do. Uh, Well, Dan York, um, thanks for uh, bringing this all to our attention. Thank you for this paper, which again, you can find at the internetsociety.org slash techmeme. I encourage everyone, um, instead of talking to your annoying relatives um, this uh, holiday, uh, go ahead and and download this paper and do some thinking about what this means, especially if you're um, in the corners of the industry that that are going to make this happen. Um, Dan, uh, is there anything else that you want to plug about the Internet Society, or uh, is the paper good enough for now? Well, the paper's good enough. I I, Like you, I'd say, please go uh, share this, read it, share it. Critique it. Tell us why we're wrong. You know, right. I mean, let us know. You know, this is the time. We got to probe at this and ask these questions. So, you know, please look at that. You know, 
tell me, tell me why we're wrong, whatever. But, uh, but, you know, share it with people, help, help get the word out that these are the questions we need to have. I'd also encourage people, you can go to internetsociety.org as well and just go there, join as a member, see what we're doing. Um, you know, if your organization is interested in being involved, you can join as an organization member. There's a lot of different activities and things that, uh, that we have doing really just all in service of, you know, looking to build a bigger, stronger internet for everyone. So thanks for having us on, Brian. Yeah, and that's why I love the Internet Society, because it's not, um, okay, these are the rules from on high. It's <laughs> it's more, um, we want people to think about this and have debate and um, raising these questions and things like that. So, Right. Um, We're not the protocol police. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love you, folks. Uh, thank you, Dan. Um, thank you, Brian. 